Thank you, Robbie. Appreciate that uh, opening song and look forward to more worship of the Lord later on in our service. And um, I do want to say before I dive into the sermon this morning that I, uh, pre- I really appreciate all the love and support that I've received over the last couple of weeks. As you know, the Lord is asking me to climb a spiritual hill that I've never climbed before and it's been hard and I feel like I keep slipping back down. But I, I'll be honest with you, I am amazed at your love and support. Absolutely amazed. The words of encouragement have been on right on spot. And uh, the sincerity is so encouraging. And just to be, as we were worshiping with that opening song this morning, I thought, you know, I, I am encouraged by the inspiration of worship that's I'm surrounded with. So, so as you pour your heart out to the Lord, I get to benefit from that. And it's just so encouraging to be in the presence of the Lord and to be in your presence, the saints this morning. And I appreciate all that you have done for me. And um, we'll try to keep you posted on God's work in my life because you are now, like it or not, you've been brought into it and you are now invested in it. So praise God. We are in Proverbs chapter four this morning. And we have been talking about or learning about in the book of Proverbs, this idea of a path that we are all on, this path of life. And we've been introduced to the idea in Proverbs that the path of life that we are on is made up of the decisions that we make, our daily decisions. And it is those daily decisions that we make that are forging our character. Our daily decisions are determining What kind of person we are becoming. And Proverbs wants to speak wisdom into our path of life. To to propel us into a person that knows wisdom and walks wisely. And there are certain ways that God or avenues that God brings wisdom into our lives. And we've looked at that in the first couple chapters. We've looked at the idea of knowing God. By knowing God, we are wiser. Uh, By trusting God, we can't just um, know him. We have to trust him. And also another avenue of wisdom comes as we submit ourselves to the Lord. So knowing God, trusting God, submitting to God is a way for us to become wiser. It is a way for us to live in reality because um, wisdom is defined as competence regarding the realities of life. We also looked at another avenue that God uses to bring wisdom into our lives, and that's the body of Christ, the community of the saints. And to keep us from being wise in our own eyes and only seeing life the way we see it, we get to incorporate others' perspectives. And then on Father's Day, we saw the last avenue that God often used in a very powerful tool to help make us wise and forge our character is discipline. And we saw that discipline is not just the spanky strap or punishment. But it's it's training of the character. It's preparing us for the things that we we know we're going to have to face sooner in, or later in life. And so it's that sometimes a very rigorous training that needs to take place in order for us to be wise. And so we're going to continue that idea of the path of life in chapter four of Proverbs. And it. This takes it even a little farther to solidify the concept of what it means to walk wisely. And it's going to give us some warnings about 
Well, if, if what would happen if we didn't walk wisely or what's it really look like to get off the path or to stray from the path of wisdom? And then we're going to close by looking at the driving force of why we are where we are today. I mean, we're all at a certain place. We're all at a certain spiritual level. Why are we there? How did we get there? And we'll close by looking at that, that which determines our path. We found that Proverbs is intentionally a very practical book. In fact, some of the scholars call it the application of the Old Testament law. So you get caught up in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all of these laws and all of these rituals and even the Ten Commandments. And you might think, what would that look like in real life? And Proverbs gives us this picture of what it looks like to apply all of those complex commandments. So it's very, very practical for us. It's also practical in the sense that it's helping us wrestle with the decisions that we're faced with every day that aren't so what we might call morally obvious or black and white. Those are the easy things. But we have the, the, the good, better, best decisions that we are faced with. And we also have a lot of freedoms to make different decisions in life. So how do you know which thing to choose? Proverbs helps us with that. Proverbs helps us to see that, for instance, timing is important and what you say is important. So here's an example of when or when to do the right thing or to say the right thing. Proverbs 15:23 says this to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season. How good it is. So the law tells us to build one another up and say encouraging things. But Proverbs is telling us that it's, it's even a little more complicated than that. We want to say the right thing at the right time. So even timing is important. So he's encouraging us to consider maybe what season of life that person is in. Is in. You might have something burning on your heart or some truth that you think that person needs to hear this. But then we want to consider the context of the situation. So that's a, a wise thing to do. Another proverb regarding when to speak is a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Proverbs twenty five eleven. So now there are right times and wrong times we learn. There are right things to say to people. So he's introducing us to this idea of wisdom and discernment. There's also so there's the right time to say things, even the right thing. There's also the wrong time to even say the right thing. Here's an example of that. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. So you mean to say I might have this prayer or just I'm very encouraged and I want to just speak a blessing over somebody. But if I do it at the wrong time, it's actually like it's coming at him like a curse. Yeah. So so this father that's teaching his sons about wisdom, he's he's telling his sons, you may have something on your heart, but there's even a right time to say that in a wrong time. And you get the idea that in the morning it's kind of a sacred time. There's a quietness to the morning and he's talking about early morning. So there may be some that are still in bed, maybe some people that are just getting up. They haven't had their coffee yet or maybe they're. It's devotion time and it's the, they're taking advantage of the quietness of the morning and you don't want to 
barge into somebody's house and say, praise the Lord, it's going to be a wonderful day, boys and girls. Get out of bed, rise and shine, and let's face it. And you, you just, I mean, those are nice words, but I'm not awake yet. So that can be seen as a curse. So see how complicated it is when you try to put all of this together. So Solomon's trying to teach his sons about these realities of life. And he goes so far to say in some places that your days may be short. I just run out of battery or is that that your days may be short uh, if you do the wrong thing. It might blow up at you. You know, if somebody is sleeping and they think they deserve to be sleeping and not have you yelling in your ear, your days may be cut short. So I hope we're learning also that wisdom is not just some kind of technique that we we put our lives into this machine. And if you do this and this and this, at the end is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And there's a lot of books out there that promise that. But and, and technique is important, but life is complicated. There's a lot of complex things that come into it. So a tremendous amount of variabilities in it. And so what Proverbs is trying to to help us to do is to not. Be so reliant upon the external things, but to build our character decision by decision. And that enables us when we're faced with something we know, we know based on experience, we know based on the decisions that have paid off in the past. We just know what to do. And that ultimately comes from the inside. So we're going to look at eventually we'll look at these individual topics that Proverbs talks about very soon, actually talks about business, talks about work ethic, talks about marriage, uh, parenting, um, speech, romance and so so forth. But we're going to continue this theme, at least for this morning. And I'm going to read verses 11 through 27. And of course, it doesn't all apply. And I'm not going to look at every verse, but you will see this theme continue to emerge in these verses. So let's look at Proverbs chapter four. 11 through 27. Hear, my son, and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. 
So this passage continues to, to show us these decisions that we make on a daily basis. They're determining where we're going to be in five years and ten years or even next week. The little decisions we want that we make in life and what we want to understand the importance of these things that we're faced with every day. Whether to have a devotion or not, whether to take this job or not, whether I should work an extra hour or not, whether I should talk to this person about this topic or not. It's all these little decisions that we make. Timothy Keller gives an ex- uh, excellent example of how our little choices continue to make us into what we are. And he read a, an article that a man, a testimony of a man, it was, I think, in the 1970s, this man who was in jail, um, what he had to say. And he says, um, he's telling the story about this man. And when he was young, he's telling the story about how he was just a young boy and his father had this beautiful gold watch. And he used to keep this watch in his drawer. And as a little boy, he wanted to go up and look at that watch and see that watch. And so he opened the drawer with nobody around and he opened it. He gets the watch and he's just admiring it, admiring it. And he drops it and it cracks and he puts it back into the drawer. And it says and he says nothing to anyone about it. When his father found it, he got everyone in the family together and he said, who did this? And the little boy still didn't say because he had always, even before that incident, he had always had this instinct to just cover up, to not not to ever admit any kind of fault that he had done, not to tell the truth. He just covered up. Years later, one night he was driving in a car on a dark road and he ran over a child. And in an instant, he left the scene. By instinct, again, he had this urge to just cover it up and not to disclose this. And when he got home, he realized what he had done and he faced what he had done. But he was too afraid to turn himself in because it was a hit and run. And eventually the law found him. And he was in jail for most of the rest of his life. And he said in an interview what fixed his destiny was not the decision that he made on the road. It was the decision that he the decisions he had been making all of his life to cover things up, to not come clean when he had made mistakes for years and years. He says his character was already set in place. And so he did what he had become. And this man recognized this as he reflects on his life. And it's just an excellent example of of reminding us of these daily decisions that we're faced with. God lays before us right and wrong, wisdom and foolishness, wickedness and righteousness. And we want to wrestle with these things and understand the importance of the implication. So this man has been avoiding doing things that he didn't like doing things. Things that made him uncomfortable. He had avoided his whole whole life issues of the heart that needed to be addressed. And look where it landed him. He, Proverbs would say, was trying to escape reality. He didn't come clean with the reality. He tried to escape it and live as if it was not there. 
and not face. He didn't face his cowardly heart. So what this chapter helps us do is see how one might wind up in that place. There's actually a progression that takes place when it comes to, say, straying off the path of righteousness onto the path of evil. How do we keep this from happening? Well, we want to become aware of this progression so that we do not give in to it and go down the wrong path. So first of all, in this, I guess, path to evil, if you might say, or progression to evil, verses 11 through 19, here's the first phase. It's issued in the voice of a warning. Verse 14, it tells us that we start out with the freedom to make choices. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. So at first he's saying you have a choice to make. Okay, you've just been introduced to something. You've had an opportunity to sin and maybe your flesh is you're intrigued. Your flesh wants it. He's saying don't do it right now. Just turn away and walk the other direction. Don't linger. Don't think about it while you still can get away and flee from that. Resist it because you have a choice in the matter. You can do something about it. So don't be foolish. So we see first we're given a choice. But then the next description in this passage is of those who chose, say, not to run away or not to turn away. Verse 16. Freedom is lost for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. Now, he's talking about a person who has decided to take the path of violence. And it has so intrigued them. They said, yeah, I'm in. I'm in, guys. Let's do this thing. Now, they they experience the thrill of it. And they're hooked. This This is a description of those that may be obsessed or, say, addicted to certain things. They're so hooked at the idea. They crave it so much that they can't even sleep at night. Their wheels. This is not a sluggard. Their wheels are always turning. How can I get my next fix? How can I feel this way again? I really like that feeling. And they're consumed by it. That's all they think about. They have to have more. They can't rest until they get more. So this person is taking the path of violence. The same thing goes with, say, somebody who um, can't resist the temptation for power or money. They're, they're obsessed with it. So what do they do? They find themselves. They're usually the first one at the office and the, and the last one to leave. They can't stop because they always want to know I'm on top. They like that feeling. They crave it. So they'll forsake the other important things of life just so they can They can have that feeling of being saying, staying one step ahead of the other person and they're consumed by it. They're always thinking that's how their days are spent. Their minds are thinking, how can I stay on top or if it's money, how can I make more money? So it's the description of someone who is possessed and they're hooked and they're constantly planning. Of course, this leads to what we might consider um, the self-absorbed life when we have given ourselves to that extent and straight off the path. We wind up only seeing life through our eyes. We've lost the perspective of reality. And now we're in our own little world and all we can think about is that next opportunity. We've shut the other things out. And when we get into that self-absorbed life, suddenly even people, not just life, but even people become tools to get what we want. You're no longer 
considered. I'm no longer considering your interest. I'm only looking at you and how you can fulfill my needs. So you become a tool. So like if we're hooked, say, on gossip, some people are hooked on gossip, they're hooked on juicy information. Uh, they might there, there are people that will befriend you and have a a knack at speaking to you in such a way that you become disarmed and you reveal way more information than you you wanted to. And they have that. And they got the secrets out of you and now they can use it either for juice, juicy gossip or just for their own pleasure. Or if it is somebody who is addicted to pornography, then it's then women are just an object. That's all they are. They're just an object to be used for the next time of gratification. So life, as you once knew, it's gone. It's all about you and your next opportunity. We've given up that certain amounts of freedom that we had in stage one. And then there's this third and last step of this progression. And he calls it the deep darkness. And listen to his description in verse 19. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So what has happened now? This person that has given themselves, they have decided to walk so far down the path of darkness. They get out there and they look around and what Whatever view they look at, it's all the same. As a matter of fact, they've walked so far down the path of darkness that when they turn around, they can't even see the path of light anymore. And so they are completely surrounded by their own lives and the decisions that they have made. They don't have the twinklings of light. And people get to this stage and they think, what has happened? How did I find myself in this mess? I'm miserable Every day, every decision I make just seems to be worse. Even when I try to do the right thing, it just blows up on me. I don't know how to get. I got here. I don't understand. They're in complete darkness. They've lost touch with themselves. They've lost touch with reality. One forced decision after another. And they can no longer even see any exit signs in their lives. So so here's what happens if you look at these three. The first phase, there's clear A clear difference between light and darkness. And we're warned, don't see it. Don't go down that. Here, walk the path of light. Shun evil in favor of light. And then the second, we've decided we're going to take the path of darkness and we're following along and we've lost a lot of our freedoms. We're not we're no longer really trying to fight the battle like we once were. We're just giving into it and giving into it. But in this stage, there's still twinklings of light. There's still decisions that can be made because we, we at least know we're in the wrong. But then we see this last phase where we're so down the path of darkness that the light is no longer there for us. And things go from bad to worse. Now, I've seen this happen to people. Perhaps you have. Their lives are tumultuous. They're a complete wreck and ruin based on. Countless bad decisions that they've made. And a lot of times they'll just look at it and say, I don't understand how I got here. They're so lost. They don't understand that. Well, you got here from these decisions that you've made. And the way you get out is one, one right decision at a time, by the way. So that is what we're faced with in life. These kind of decisions. And that's the path of evil that we want to try to avoid. And I want to say, bring up the idea that 
on top of our own desires of the flesh, we also have the enemy that doesn't help matters at all. The enemy is is really good at evil. And he's been tempting people for for centuries. And he is so subtle that that what he'll often try to do to get, say, the strongest believers is not throw at us these huge doses of evil where we can see oh, that's wrong. And you're not going to catch me walking that path. He's more subtle than that. What he does is he might take that big dose of evil and chop it up into little powder and then just put a little the subtle hints to where they're barely recognizable. And so the filters that we put up for ourselves that normally catch the big things. Well, sometimes we let the little things in because we're not on guard. And we might find ourselves rather than one big decision, lots of teeny little compromises, but it still has the same effect over time. We're still taking in the same amount of poison. And this doesn't just work, say, for sins of commission. It's real easy to say, don't do that and don't do that or confront somebody when it's so obvious that they're living a life of sin. But there are also the things that are not so obvious, the things that we would never get in each other's face about. So let's take, for instance, the idea of being grateful. We know that Scripture tells us to be grateful, to, to be filled with rejoicing over the things that God has done for us. If we fail to make the daily choice to give thanks to God for the blessings that he brings into our lives, that has an effect, too. And it might seem so innocent, it might seem like an optional thing. But to but to fail to give God on a daily basis, thanks, you brought this. This is a blessing from you. He brings so many good things into us that are often unnoticed. And to fail to recognize this came from you and I'm grateful for it and I didn't deserve it has long term consequences. So if we fail to give God daily thanks for his blessings, what might happen? Well, the thought comes to us. We begin to think that. We actually deserve these things. We begin to think that we take them for granted first. We take them for granted. No need to thank God because this happens every day. So it's just the way life is. We take it for granted. Then we think we actually deserve certain things to happen to us. So God is a little bit out of the picture in, in areas of our life. Because there's no need to thank him for what we think we have coming to us. To begin with. So it progresses into thinking we deserve it. We have it coming to us. And then it progresses into the sin of just being ungrateful. Well, what's so wrong with that? You ever have you ever hung out with an ungrateful person? What happens? So that progression. Now you're an ungrateful person. An ungrateful person is a miserable person. And they're miserable because they think that they deserve this certain kind of life experience. And they're not getting it anymore. So they're miserable and they feel sorry for themselves. And usually it spreads out. We can't contain our misery. Anybody near us is going to catch it or at least experience it. Because we think our rights are being violated on a daily basis. How can I be happy when my rights are being violated on a daily basis and I'm not getting the things that I deserve in life? You see how subtle these decisions can be? And the long-term consequences. So sin takes a lot of different forms, not just co uh, omission. 
or commission, but also omission. But they all have the same kind of effect. It's interesting about sin, no matter what angle we, we come at it from, it all points us in the same direction. And guess where we all land? Thinking about ourselves. Every sin corrals us to put us in our own little world, only thinking about ourselves. Life all it becomes all about what we want. And we'll try to get it in a good way or evil way or even too much of a good thing. It doesn't matter, but we are fixed on it. And that path takes us into the deep darkness where we lose our way. Now, I know that you look at the news and you read the papers. And this progression is basically a commentary on the direction that our culture is headed in. You know, when I was a kid, there were certain things that were just so obviously wrong. You just, you just don't, don't go down that path. Everybody knew that was a dead end street. It's destructive. And now the things that just seem to be so clearly wrong, we want to protect by law to give the freedom to people to engage in that. So whereas we used to raise our hand and say, no, that's the path to bondage. Don't don't go down there. Now we say, no, now you have every right and every freedom to live in bondage if you want. So the things that we, we are headed down the deep darkness, uh, becoming a very confused culture and our lawmakers and people who uh, come up with rules and so forth uh, have lost their way. Many of them. When you lose your way and you look around, you don't know where your bearing are. How do you expect to know if you're going in the right direction or not? How do you expect to know where this is going to take me and what the consequences might be? A sure sign of a culture that is headed towards the deep darkness. So all of this happens along our path. You know what happened this week? To every one of us, we were on this path and we made decisions. All the things that were introduced into our lives, the things that we introduced into our lives. All that we faced, it's happening along the path that we are. Our character has been forged this week a little bit more, solidified a little bit more in the direction that we are headed. And this leads me to the second and last point. You think, well, okay, that's sobering. And I definitely don't want that to happen to me. Or, hey, I just recognize I'm partially down this path or here's where I am. I want to avoid it. What can I do? What practical steps can I take? I don't want to face the deep darkness. I don't want to mistreat people for personal gain and start looking at people as my objects. So our temptation, this is where, by the way, Proverbs introduces the idea of the heart and the wellspring of life. But let's just say right that now you're thinking about, I definitely don't want to go down that path of darkness. I know it. What we will probably do is is um, say, I'm making my mind up right now to not do that. And we're going to exert our willpower. How do you keep from going down the path of wickedness? We're saying, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to rely on my willpower. I'm going to make a commitment. And by the strength of my will, I will not go down that path. There is a place for willpower. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And so that helps us fight these battles. But many times that's our first, I guess, line of defense or first way to be proactive against these things is to resolve in our will. I'm not going to do this. I'm tempted and I'm not going to do it. But there is a problem with willpower. 
And that is that willpower can give out. Uh, just look at the, every year, the first of the year. All of the commitments that are made. I joined the gym. I got rid of all the junk out of my, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to, I'm going to get my six pack back. People will be amazed at the beach or I'm going to, I'm going to stop doing this vice and I'm taking on this and we make commitments and by our sheer will, we're determined and some don't make it a day. Uh, some make it maybe a month or two, but it's just, it's just the reality of life. Willpower has its place. Absolutely. It's a fruit of the spirit, but it's not a long term solution. So it's interesting that this wise man doesn't introduce to his sons as the remedy. You just got to be strong and determined. You just have to exert your will. So what is the answer? Verse 23. Here's where he leads his pupils. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, Change is not just willpower. Maybe that's the first steps to take. But true change comes by a change of heart. See, what we are is it's, it's actually coming from a place and it's coming from our heart. I asked the question earlier, how did we get here where we are today? What is it that determines the decisions we make? What is it that's driving us? Scripture says it's our heart. So our heart is that which needs to change in order for there to be this long term effect. And this is what I really want. This is so important. I really want this to sink into us that no matter where we are in Christ, it's coming from our heart and our heart is what needs to be changed. St. Augustine was a fourth century church father, very influential in church history. We still Adhere to a lot of um, the conclusions that he drew theologically by studying scripture. He is the author of perhaps the two books you may have heard confessions where he talks about his sinful lifestyle and coming to Christ and also the city of God. Two very powerful books. He says the key to life change is not the acts of the will, but the loves of the heart. Now, why? Because it's the heart that's the wellspring of life. It's the heart that has yearnings. It's the heart that has desires. And that's what we need to look at. That's what we need to examine in order to bring forth true change. Willpower, it just can't last forever. And it's not intended to last forever. So there's things that are coming out of our heart. You know what a spring is. It gushes. You know, even our wells have gallons per minute. There's just something that's constantly coming out of it. And there's something that's constantly coming in and gushing out of our hearts. What is coming out of our hearts? Well, it's not just emotions. A lot of times we look at life or we look at the body or the person as head and heart. And up here is all the knowledge and down here is all the emotion. And so we have to be careful and they often are at odds with one another. And we have to pick which one we're going to follow. Scripture doesn't really say that. Scripture looks at the individual. Uh, at the heart as being the seat of all things. The whole person. In that heart. You're wrestling with your emotions. You're wrestling with your thoughts. Your desires. Everything that makes you. You. Is taking place. Right in your heart. There's not that dichotomy. 
So it's your heart that's determining your feelings and your emotions. It is. It's the seat of who you are. And so everything is coming out of the seat of who you are. And it is in our hearts that we find the absolute greatest loves. Our hearts are driving us towards things or away from things. That's us. We take responsibility for that. So if we're longing for something, it's because our heart wants it. And our heart is telling us constantly. Our hearts are telling us, if I just have that, I'll have joy. If I just have that, that's what our hearts are speaking to. If I just have that, I'll have joy. So our heart is determining what it thinks it wants. And therefore, we're making decisions and we're walking in a certain direction based on what our heart is telling us that we just if I just had that life would be such and such. It goes after them because it thinks it needs them and will rejoice in them. And by the way, our heart is is designed to do that. Our heart is designed to have loves and longings. It's designed to seek after things that will satisfy it. So by God's design, our heart is doing that. But every human heart is decided on some main thing or some main love or some main hope. If I can just have that. Timothy Keller says, whatever your heart has decided is its ultimate love. That determines all of the ways in which you will make choices in your life. Whatever is the ultimate love of your heart spins out of a whole way of making choices and decisions in your life. He goes on to say, so therefore, if we love, if we allow our hearts to love the wrong things, obviously we will come to ruin because we're chasing after the wrong things. And we'll want to have that fulfilled so badly that we will ruin it for ourselves. I won't go into this for the sake of time very long, but let's just take, for instance, the idea if my heart loves, say, my children in an unhealthy way, a disordered, it's a disordered love, then it can have two bad consequences. I can either be overprotective because I love them so much and therefore I'm ruining our relationship and I'm ruining the children that I love so much because it's a disordered love or I may be so insecure That I just let them do anything because I'm afraid that I won't have that relationship. So you see a disordered love or a love that's out of balance, even though it might start out as a good thing, actually ruins the very thing that our heart longs for. The same thing goes with money. If we are obsessed with money, what's going to happen? Eventually, we're going to we're making bad decisions. We're too desperate. We're either too desperate for it. Therefore, we're playing the lottery or we're doing whatever. We're taking every opportunity. We're falling for scams because we, we want it so badly or we're going to we're going to guard it so much. We're not going to enjoy it. And it may leave us stranded anyway. So you see that a disordered love doesn't get us what our heart wants to, in the first place. There's a right way to get these things. The same thing with marriage relationships. If I say I am not a complete person without a certain kind of person in my life. What might I do if if my heart's convinced I need this certain kind of person? I'm either going to be controlling to make sure I get it or I'm going to be so desperate that I don't have much of a relationship anyway. So it, it plays itself out in many ways. But the point is that anything but God 
as the main love of our hearts actually keeps us from getting the things that our hearts truly desire in the way they were intended by God. God has to be the basis of our hope, the basis of our identity. That, In other words, God has to be, be the main thing that our heart says, if I can just have that. If I could just have that, these other things in my life will be so more fulfilling and meaningful. God has got to be that main thing. Timothy Keller says, if God is more important than money, only then will you make decisions that will help you financially. If God is more important than your children, only then will you be in a position where you actually make good decisions for your children. If God's more important than being married, only then will you actually make good choices about whom to marry. So there's a place for, for willpower and determination. But Augustine says, absolutely not. The main problem in your life is that your heart is filled with disordered loves. Meaning we can love the right things, but in a disordered way. As we have just looked at the examples, money, career, children, spouses, they're out of order. They're, they're inordinate loves. And because of that, our hearts are putting their claws and sinking their claws into something that they shouldn't. And therefore, it's not going to take us where our hearts want to be. And so fighting evil is more than just a matter of will, willpower. It might start out that way. What are we looking for? A change of heart. So we want to replace. Ultimately, we want to replace our evil desires with the love of God. And there you're not resisting it anymore. It's not a matter of willpower. You actually have changed the object of your love. And you're going to naturally want and long for it. Therefore, you're going to want to go down that path. You're going to be a chaser of the light. You're going to be a chaser of righteousness and goodness because you love it so much. And you love the God of it. So we want to treat our hearts to a full dose of God. And long for God because that's what our hearts really long for. It was also Augustine that said um, that our, hot, our hearts basically will never be satisfied or settled until we find God. Because there's, there's that item, that, that part that's missing in our hearts. We will always be restless until our hearts settle on God. We want to give our hearts a full dose of God this morning. Where are we spiritually? What's going on in our lives? What kind of decisions did we make? Where's our path taking us? Is it back and forth? Is it straight? Are we at that place where we have perfect freedom to make the choice? Have we begun to follow it down into the darkness to where um, our freedoms are less? We're losing them, but we still see twinklings of light. Or are we that place of deep darkness where I don't even know my life is such a mess. I don't even know where I am. Look to God. Look to Christ. That's how we redeem our hearts, by loving God through believing in Christ. By pulling the heart, replacing the thing that we think is so beautiful with that which is so sincerely, truly beautiful. And that is Christ in the center of our hearts. And that's what brings the healing, because then things are in their right place. And that's what brings the joy. We have an opportunity this morning to apply God's holy word. And as we worship him in song and then come together as the family and the people of God, worship him through holy communion. We have an opportunity for the rest of our service to to commune with him and relate to him and 
and let go of the things of our hearts that are not going to bring us that joy and delight in the God of our salvation. May God bless the preaching of his word.